Hey, my name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. I want to say thank you very much for being a part of our, our services uh, this weekend. Um, uh, every single weekend here at Grace, uh, during our teaching time, we, we usually start uh, with, with the Bible and see what it has to say uh, about our lives and the things that we care most about um, in our lives. Um, and, then, and then whatever God has to say about those things, we, we figure out ways to put those in, into practice. And uh, one of the things I love most about the Bible is that it covers so many of the things uh, that we think so much about. Uh, and, and God has a lot to say about these things because it, it matters to him. And the reason why it matters to him is he knows that these things matter to us. And because we matter to him, uh, uh, the things that matter to us most are things that, that matter to him as, as well. Like as a dad, uh, the things that my kids care most about are the things that I also care about. Because if it affects my kids, uh, then I'm going to take a personal interest in it. One of those things for me is soccer. I didn't grow up playing soccer. I grew up playing uh, basketball, um, participating in football. I don't know if you can say that what I did uh, was necessarily playing. I was on a football team. I wasn't any good. And I played Little League uh, baseball uh, for one year, and I was, I was horrible, horrible at that also. But my kids were interested in these things, and so since my kids were interested in these things, um, I took an active interest in it. I, I know that even in, in basketball, or excuse me, in baseball, I ordered Cal Ripken's uh, DVDs on how to coach baseball to little kids because I wanted uh, to, be, to be good uh, and, and to be helpful uh, to my kids and the things that they were most interested in. So it's not surprising to me that God would address the things in the Bible that matter most to us. Things like, uh, like love, uh, marriage, sex, uh, money, Work, uh, laws, lawbreakers, uh, government, uh, how to establish healthy boundaries in our lives. He talks about uh, depression. He talks about abuse. He talks about life. He talks about death. He talks about generosity. I mean, all of the things that you and I care most about, uh, God, uh, God addresses. And in this series uh, on relationships, we're looking at what God has to say about healthy relationships. So in the first week, we talked about how to have healthy relationships uh, with our with our family, our 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 like most immediate family. Then last week we talked about uh, relationships in in our spiritual family, those those that are in the church, those who share our core values. This week we're talking about the relationships that we don't necessarily have because we intentionally. Avoid them. They're the people that are in our lives uh, that we navigate around or over because they're not necessarily convenient uh, to to walk through or to walk to walk walk with. Um, it's it's the people in our lives that that we struggle with. Uh, now we believe that God uh, created everyone and uh, created the world, uh, each one of us who are in it. So when God speaks to these things, we have the assumption, or we come from the bias, that if God made you, wired you, and put you together the way that you are wired and put together, that he probably knows the way you, you, you work best. And, and this is one of those teachings that I'm not necessarily excited about because it, it requires the most uh, from me. Uh, that that that's inconvenient if we're going to be if we're going to be completely honest. But um, I believe that if you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, if we will take seriously the things that Jesus is going to be 
teaching us about these awkward interactions, uh, the people that are inconvenient in our lives, that not only will it significantly improve the life that you're living right now, but will help you become the person that God has, has created you to be. Um, how many of you guys know somebody um, in your life right now, whether it's at work, school, on your street, maybe even in your home? I hope it's not in your home. But how many of you guys would be honest enough, wherever you're sitting, you would raise your hand and say, I can think of somebody that I would rather avoid. Uh, put your hand up wherever you're at. I want everybody else to see that you know somebody, somebody like this. All right, now everybody has somebody like this. So if your hand isn't up, you might be the person that everybody else is trying to avoid. I, I hope that's not the case. But most of us know somebody uh, that, that drains us, that sucks the living life out, out of us. Uh, just this past week, I uh, stopped uh, and, and interacted with somebody. don't want to give too much information because I'd hate for anybody to guess uh, if you were around me at all this week. But, but uh, I, I just stopped to acknowledge this person, knowing I'm going to be speaking on this. And just like, hello, how are you? And I just, I was hoping it would just be a, uh, I'm fine, uh, and then great, nice to see you, and then, and then keep on, on walking. Uh, but this person started engaging uh, in, in a conversation with me. And when I said, how are you doing? Uh, they went into a, a dialogue, monologue about how they were doing. And then I realized I wasn't really all that interested in how they were doing. I don't know if you've ever done that. You're like, how are you doing? Oh, crap, I shouldn't have asked that question at all because I don't care. I know that's horrible for me to say. It's just true. There are people that I, uh, man, that, that to be around them, it, it, it drains me. They, they, don't, they don't fill me at all. And in this one particular case, it took me probably 15 minutes to pull myself out of that conversation uh, because, uh, yeah, I was, I, was, I, was, I was dying. And then, and then as I started to finish up the teaching for this morning, I felt bad about it. But if I'm going to be honest, oh man, I don't even know. Yeah, I'm still struggling with whether or not I want to run into that person, uh, that person again. But some people are definitely harder to be around uh, than others. And there are some people that are more difficult to love than others. There are some people, man, that's, it's easy to love them. I mean, they're, they're kind and they're, they're generous uh, people. They go out of their way to be a blessing. Those are the people that are, that are, that are easy to love. Uh, but it seems like there's a whole lot more people in the world that aren't than, than are. Uh, and, and if I'm going to be honest, there are just some people uh, that, that feel like a waste of the little time that I actually have available and, and that, 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 that statement right there was one of the hardest ones I, I wrote in, into my notes because of how uh, uncomfortable that makes me feel about myself to say. But when it comes to our interactions with other people, we do make value judgments based on what they add to us or what they take from us. I mean, if we're going to be completely honest... Uh, when we walk into a new job, when we walk into a new school, when we walk into um, uh, any new environment, onto a new team, move into a new apartment, move, uh, volunteer for a new community organization, uh, when we begin to interact with other people, we make value judgments based on not who they are, but what they can do for who I am. And, and where, I'm, where I'm trying to go. And uh, that's, that's the idea 
uh, behind the teaching today. Jesus spoke to this tendency that we all have to be transactional in our relationships. Um, I'm looking for a good ROI. I'm looking for a good return on investment. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll walk by people at a, at, a, at a pastor's conference, and I'm making a value judgment on whether or not they can help me grow as a leader or as a pastor, if they can teach me things that I, I don't know. I'm looking for a return on investment. When you walk into a new workplace, uh, you're evaluating the other people that you work around based on uh, whether or not they're going to be able to help you meet your quota, help you write better reports, help you to do a better job with sales, coach you or lead you or help you gain more access maybe to another layer of leadership that you're, you're trying to get to. There are people, if you're in a high school, that you do the exact same thing with. you When you, when you walk into homeroom, there's people that you feel can help you socially. Uh, if you get onto a soccer team, there's people that share your interest and in, in different, like we're looking for people who can help us more than we look for people who, who need us. And and, and that's a tendency, I think, that's common to all of us. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you, you need to feel like, a, like, like I, that you need to feel bad because your default setting is this way. I don't believe that at all. I just think that we need to be aware that this is our default setting and, and consider whether or not our default setting needs to be fine-tuned better. And that's what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to be in, in Matthew chapter 5 is where I'm at right now. Um, Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading in verse 43. And here's what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 43. He says, uh, You have heard the law that says, uh, Love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. Uh, and and, and uh, I'm not actually fam very familiar with that law, but I, I definitely get the sentiment behind it. Like it's, it's, I, I, can, I can love my neighbor, uh, but it, and it, and it's, I, can, I, can, I can hate my enemy. Those are, those are two things that I'm pretty good at. My neighbor and I are going to share some things in common. My neighbor and I are going to share probably a socioeconomic status. Uh, my, my neighbor and I are going to share proximity. We're going to be more involved in each other's life. Uh, I know that if my interactions with my neighbor go well, then I have a more positive experience um, at my actual address than if I've got bad relationships with them. So by being good to them, they in turn are good to me, uh, and it makes my quality of life on my street at my address in my home uh, improve. So the idea of loving my neighbor is something that we're all familiar with, and then hating our enemy is something that we don't have to be taught. It's something that comes natural to us. And so Jesus says, you're familiar with the idea of this, right? That you're to love the people around you, right, because it affects the quality of the life that you experience. Uh, and, then, and then you're familiar with the idea of hating the people that are actively working against you. And I think all of us would say, yes, we, we get that. Uh, Jesus says, but, <laughs> but I'm about to change that, is essentially what he's about to say. But I, I say to you something completely different. I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Um, there have been times in my life where this verse has been put to the test. Uh, I think I may have even referenced it maybe in another teaching. I don't think it's been any time recently, but um, there, there, there have been people in my life who felt like enemies, right? Uh, you probably have people in your life that 
make you feel uh, unwanted, uh, unloved, or disadvantaged. And uh, sometimes uh, we, we, we can't get away from these people because they're people that we work with. Uh, sometimes they're people that we, we live with. Hopefully it's not somebody that you're married to. Wow, that would be difficult. I mean, there have been times when even in our marriage, I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest, uh, and if my wife isn't listening right now, I'll tell you that we, we have been, we have felt like enemies of, of each other. But he says that we are to love our enemies. And this is more than just having positive feelings for that person. Uh, most of the times in scriptures when love is referenced, it's in terms of, of our choice uh, to serve. And then Jesus defines this a little bit by asking us to pray for those who uh, aggressively make our lives more difficult than we're to pray. Not for God to roast them. Uh, that would be a natural prayer. But the prayers that we have towards those that disadvantage us, those that make us feel less than, um, are to uh, reflect the thing that he had just said, and that is love for them. So I am to pray for God uh, to, to bless them, to advantage them, even while they are disadvantaging me. And that is an incredibly difficult thing for Jesus to ask. I mean, it's an easy thing for him to say, right? Like, there's a lot of things that's easy to say and, and, and difficult to actually do. And I feel like this is one of them. Um, I had a work relationship go south uh, with an employer uh, who made my life a living hell. It was, it was, it was a horrible experience. Uh, working for this person uh, for several years got me to a very unhealthy place uh, emotionally and, and mentally. Uh, Billy Jane one time had even pulled me aside and said, uh, I, don't, I don't think this, this is healthy for you anymore, for you to, for you to keep working at this place. Uh, and she said, it's changing you, and it's not changing you for the better. So I, I, don't, I don't know if you've had somebody, I'm, I'm assuming you probably have somebody in your life that you have been around uh, who, has had a, who is having or has had a negative impact on, on the trajectory of your life, and that was this person. I went to my dad, and, uh, who's a wise and godly man, and asked for some counsel. What do I need to do? And he said, Sean, here's what you need to do. You need to actually do what Jesus said and pray for God to bless this person, which was the last thing in the world that I wanted to do. Uh, but he said, uh, I said, well, if I prayed for God to bless them, then that wouldn't be an honest prayer uh, because I don't, I don't. And he said, why? And I said, because I don't mean it. And then my dad's pushback was, but Jesus didn't say to pray for your enemies uh, if you want to. He doesn't really even give you a qualifier. This is an instruction. If you are going to follow Jesus, you must ask God to start blessing this person. And if you don't feel it and you want to tell him that, then tell him that. So uh, in all honesty, as I began praying for God to bless this person, I would say, Dear God, uh, bless this person, please. Um, but if you don't want to, that's fine. I'm not telling you what to do. Right? <laughs> and there's a part of me that was like secretly hoping everybody else would feel about them the way that I felt about them. Uh, but I would keep praying. And I just kept doing it. I just kept doing it. And, and truthfully, it took several years. Um, but by the time I was able to pray for God to bless this person who made my life miserable, was about the same time that I had gotten to the place where I was now healthy in spite of what they had done to me. And uh, I, I'm, I, I believe that had I not spent so much time praying for God to bless them, 
uh, I don't know that I would have ever found freedom from the emotional damage that had come from them, right? Uh, so I think that there's a tangible benefit to your life right now if you would begin actually doing what Jesus says to do, and that's to pray for the people in your life right now that make your life more difficult, the people that you avoid, the people that like suck life out of you rather than filling your cup. But, but he goes on to explain more about this principle. In the following verses, he says, in this way, in other words, why should I do this? Why? Why do I need to love my enemies? Why do I need to pray for God to bless those who make my life more difficult? Because in this way, I am acting as a true child of my Father in heaven. That's why I'm to do this. Because when I bless those I do not gain from, I am being a picture of God who blesses those he does not benefit from. I mean, when I consider what I have to bring to the table that God needs, which is nothing, and then I also factor into that the number of times that I have proactively rebelled against the authority of God in my life, disobeyed him, sinned against him, sinned against others, and God continues to love me and draw me back to himself. I, can, I remember that I am often behaving as though I am an enemy of God's plan, not just for the world, but of my life also. And that God continues to bless even when my life is set against the direction that he's trying to lead me in. So in that way, Jesus said, you are, at, you, you are being a beautiful picture of your Father who is in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Then Jesus says this, and he's speaking to your rational brain when he's about to say this. So he, he speaks to your heart in that first part. He says, if you in your heart want to be more like God, if you want to be a better reflection of who I am as your Lord and Savior, then, then you'll do this. But, but rationally speaking, he says, and, and doesn't this make sense? And here's what he says next. He says, if you love only those who love you, then what benefit do you think you'll receive from God? If you love people who love you, like how, how did that cost you anything? Like there's, there's no bonus in this. There's no congratulations, good job, or hey buddy, I'm proud of you when you take the easy path. Anybody can take the easy path, which is what he says in just a second. He says in the next verse, verse 46, he says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that even corrupt tax collectors do that much? He said even corrupt people can love people that love them. Like there's no... There's no evidence in your heart that you're beginning to be conformed into the image of Jesus. There's no evidence that God is at work in your life because you can love the easy people to love. Because you're able to bless the people that bless you. Because you invite the people over to dinner who invite you over to dinner. Because you're, you're cool to the kids who are already cool at school. Because you spend time with the captain of the football team or, or because you... You're, you're blessing the people that you know have the resources, the ability, the opportunity to be a blessing to you. Uh, what any, Everybody does that. Like there's, there's nothing to that. That didn't take anything from you. That's the easy path. 
He says, if you are kind, verse 47, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anybody else? Like you, you who've chosen to turn from your disobedience towards God, your selfishness towards your fellow man. Those of you who have accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as the only thing that makes you right with God. Those of you who have said, I am determined to follow the ways of Jesus with the rest of my life, no matter what it costs or where it takes me. How does it benefit if the only thing that you ever do is love those who love you back? If you're kind to those who are already kind. What does it benefit you? What evidence does this prove of your faith or your spiritual maturity when the only thing you do is the same thing that everybody else is already doing? Even pagans do this. But you're to be more complete than this. You're to be perfect even as your Father in heaven who is who is perfect. There are people in my life right now that I have classified as not being worth it. Worth what? Worth the time, worth the investment, worth loving, worth forgiving, worth helping, worth what? Who are those people for you? I like I I know I'm not the only person who has those people in my life, right? I mean, there's people that I interact with as briefly as possible all around me because they have no, and it's not that they don't have any worth. They don't have any value that advantages me, if I'm going to be completely honest, which is the reason why I don't have meaningful interaction with them. Jesus calls us to invest in people not for the value that they bring us, but because of the value that God has assigned to them. In complete transparency, my bias, my default setting, sets me up as the most valuable thing in my world. And so anybody else who has value to add to me is a person that I deem valuable of me. People that are worth me investing in. And what Jesus calls us to is a better way. He says that those who exalt themselves will be abased, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And rather than looking at everybody around me based on the value they add to me, I am to consider the value that has been assigned to them by God and to treat them as such. So I'm looking at other people not for how they help me, but by whether or not they need me. Whether or not they would be benefited by me. Why? So that I can act as a true child of my Father who is in heaven. Who are the types of people that God chooses? Does God look at people based on 
what they bring to the table. The Apostle Paul responds to this or, 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 or speaks to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to ch shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and uses them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. We look for people who can help us rather than the people who need us, which is the exact opposite of the way in which God looks at people. Our kids' ministry uh, recently was going over one of these values and one of the application points that they had made was that God loves you even when you're in timeout. God loves you even when you get in trouble at school. God loves you even when you get in trouble, in trouble at home. God loves you when you fail your test. God loves you when people are mean to you. God loves you when you're bullied. God loves you. God loves you regardless of your performance and simply calls us to love others the exact same way. It's just that we don't. We'll say that we love everybody. But truthfully, the only people that we give to, the only people that we share with, the only people that we help, are those who can do the exact same things for us. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian isn't the number of friends that they have, but who they make friends with. There's a beautiful example of this in, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19. And here the, Luke gives a story about something that, was, that, that, that Jesus uh, did, actually, in a town on the way to Jerusalem. So they had left Galilee, which was in northern Israel, and they traveled along the Jordan River. And when they got south enough, they kind of... They head west towards Jerusalem. And then on the way to Jerusalem, about halfway between the Jordan River and Jerusalem, there's a town called Jericho, uh, which is famous because of a well uh, that was in the city. So it was an oasis in the middle of this arid place in between the river and Jerusalem where, where the city was. And Jesus is going through Jericho. There's a, it's a very important city in Jewish culture with a lot of important Jewish people in it. And Jesus is passing through Jerusalem, and at this time in Jesus' life, he's already become very popular. Uh, people want more of his time. They're coming out to listen uh, to his teachings and then to also be serviced by uh, potentially miracles uh, that he could do for them. And it's in Luke chapter 19, verse 2, uh, that it says this. There was a man there in the city of Jericho whose name was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector uh, in, in the region, and the tax collectors were hated uh, people, the, the Romans had occupied Rome and Jews would rather die than do business with Rome. Uh, and for a while, that's what they were doing. They were, they were killing them, but they were realizing uh, we'd rather make money from them than get blood from them. So uh, what the, the arrangement that they had made was that they would find uh, certain Jewish people who'd be willing to sell out their people uh, for, for, for money. And to do this, uh, anybody who chose to be a tax collector on behalf of the Romans was a traitor to their Jewish people because they were funding their occupiers. And number two, they were voluntarily becoming ceremonially unclean and could no longer go to temple because of their interactions with the Romans. So basically, these were people who had chosen to walk away from God for the sake of money. 
Uh, and so in a conservative Jewish society, these people were at the very bottom of the rung. And that's who this guy Zacchaeus is. Uh, in, the, in the social, political, and religious uh, echos, ecosystem of their day, Zacchaeus is on the very bottom. He's a speed bump. He's somebody that you want to just interact with as, as little as possible just to get to the other side of this interaction. He's nobody you would ever spend time with. He's not a person that you would hang out and binge watch TV with or invite over for a survivor watch party. Or He's not a guy you're going to talk to over the water cooler about reruns of the office. He's a guy you're going to talk to as little as possible and avoid as, as much as possible. That's the guy. Uh, he was the chief tax collector uh, in the region, and he had become very rich uh, because he was taking more from his Jewish countrymen than what the Romans needed, and he was able to keep the excess. Uh, he tried to get a look at Jesus in verse 3, uh, but he was too short to see over the crowd, which makes me wonder why he didn't walk up through the middle of the crowd. Because I've been to parades before, and if Jesus is walking down Main Street, and the crowds of people are coming to hear Jesus, it's always the little kids who make it up to the front and sit on the curb, and they get the best view, actually, of the parades. But I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that if he tried to scoot up through the crowd, when people saw that it was Zacchaeus trying to get to the front, that they may have not been as willing to allow him room, and he couldn't see over them, but he desperately wanted to see Jesus. Uh, verse 4 says, so he ran ahead of the parade, he ran ahead of the procession, and he, he climbed a sycamore fig tree that was beside the road because he knew that that was the, the way that Jesus was going to pass by. He was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, uh, come down. Uh, because I must be a guest in your, in your home today. Um, and later in this passage of Scripture, we find that this made everybody mad. I mean, it's, they, weren't, they weren't angry that Jesus picked one person in their city to go spend time with. What made them angry is who Jesus chose to spend time with. Uh, these people as representatives of God should have been showing the kind of love to everybody that only Jesus was willing to show love to. So Jesus sets an example to them that they should have already been modeling uh, for, for him and, and, had, and, and, and weren't. Uh, and the one person that Jesus chose was the one person who couldn't even get to the front, the one person nobody else would have spent time with. Which leaves me with the question, what did Jesus have to offer that Jesus needed? And the answer to the question is nothing. If anything, spending more time with Zacchaeus kept Jesus from spending time with other people who could have advanced him, who could have advantaged him politically possibly, who could have benefited him financially, people who could have benefited him socially or, or within their religious system. There are plenty of other people Jesus could have spent time with that would have even made him more popular. But the one person he gave the little time that he had was the one person who had the least value to give, the least value to get to give back. Um, and, the, and the truth is uh, that, that we're not willing to do that. I, I have a hard time giving time to people who do nothing but take time. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, 
speaks to this in, in his letter to the church, James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our precious, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And we do that. Now, my basis for favoring some people over others might be different for the basis on which you favor some people over others. So I guess the question we have to answer honestly is, do I favor some people over others? And if I do, is that okay? For example, suppose some of you, and he talks about a few of the filters by which we assign value to people. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. And another person comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Your motives are driven by which person advantages me? Because as long as our interactions with people are based on how those people advantage me, the truth is I'm no longer worshiping God and assigning value the way He does. I have now begun to worship who? Me. I've made me the center not only of my universe, I've made me the center of your universe. If I only interact with you based on what you have to offer me, if I only serve you because you can serve me, if I only love you because I know you'll love me back, if I only give to you because I know you'll give to me, then I have made your life valuable based on what your life can do, not for God, not even for you. I base your value on what you do for me. Because in my heart, I am most valuable. And in this way, I am no longer like Jesus. Who are these people in your life? Who is, who is the person that you work with that you work around, not with? Who are the people on your street that you avoid, that you wave, you don't want to make eye contact with because you don't, you don't want to waste time with them? Who are the people at school that you don't sit, you used to be friends in elementary school, but they can't advantage you anymore, and so you've drifted, and you've started picking friends that were a little bit higher up on, on, on the cool person ladder. Who are those people that are on the rungs beneath you? How can I go out of my way to begin to show that they matter as much as I do? If Jesus were to show up in your Jericho, if Jesus was to show up in my Jericho, if Jesus was to show up on your street, if Jesus was to show up at your work, if Jesus was to show up at your school, I wonder who the Zacchaeus would be that he would spend time with that you don't. I mean, I wonder if we would get mad because he was, like the people in Jericho did. We can't say we love people that we aren't willing 
to spend time with. We can't say that we love people that we won't bless. We can't say that we love our neighbor if we don't spend time with them. We can't say that we love others at work that we won't help. We can't say that we love others at school that we don't give to. What good is it, James goes on to say in verse 14, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions, does that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces Good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue uh, some have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have deeds that back them up? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. What good is your faith if it leaves you unchanged? What good is your relationship with God if it doesn't change the relationships you already have? As we wrap this up, my encouragement is for you to, number one, be the person to others that you wish other people would be to you. I'm asking you to look at people not through the value they offer you, but the value that God has assigned to them. And I'm asking you in just a second to pray and ask God to show you right now someone in your life that you have been avoiding that you now need to walk over to and ask to come down out of the sycamore fig tree because you're going to spend time with them. That might be a weird way to put that. I'm just sticking with the story. Who's the one person that others avoid? Who's the one person who desperately needs somebody to show them how valuable they already are on their own? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, man, I'm thinking that is probably you. And I don't know this person. I can't do this for them. You do, and you can. So in closing, I'm going to ask you to pray for the person you avoid, for the person who pulls from you more than they add to you. And I'm going to ask you to do for them what Jesus has already done for you. Let's pray. God, I'm asking your will to be done in each one of our hearts. I'm asking you to show us the ways in which we have idolatrized ourselves, that we have made ourselves the center not only of our universe, but everyone else around us, that people only matter if they can help us matter more. God, we are no more unlike you than when we choose to spend time with people based on how they benefit us. Forgive us, God, for the way that we treat our relationships so transactionally. Forgive us for the way that we assign value in ways in which you don't. Forgive us for the way that we feel or treat other people as though they matter less because they have less to offer us. And help us, God, to be more like Jesus. Help us this next week to catch ourselves avoiding people. And I'm asking your Holy Spirit to convict us enough that it will change our behavior. And don't stop squeezing our hearts until we do. This is the prayer that we ask in the name of Jesus. And we all pray and say together, amen.